0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor, Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor, Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we will be discussing Cloud Atlas. We meant to discuss this last week, but uh, site demands being what they were, we didn't have time to get to it, so we're discussing it today. But before we discuss Cloud Atlas, we first wanted to take a moment and uh, comment on the passing of Chadwick Bozeman, who uh, passed away this past weekend uh, from colon cancer at the age of 43. We didn't want to go too much into it. I don't want to sort of mine his death for content. Um, I don't feel that's appropriate. But we do want to sort of say it's just a tremendous loss. He was, We felt he was both just an amazing talent, and as you can see from all the tributes that are coming out, uh, an amazing human being as well uh, that has been sorely missed. And it's, it's devastating because you can see that he had the tools to just be a legend. And I think he is a legend now, but it's one of those things when a great actor dies young, you know, you, you, you think of all the work that they could have done still. And I think that's what we saw with Chadwick Boseman. So it's just, it's so sad. And our, our thoughts are with his, uh, his family and his friends. And uh, we wish them our our deepest condolences.
0: Yeah. It was a gift what he gave us. uh, And a gift that we'll keep on giving i think for generations to come uh those performances and you know obviously especially what he did with that black panther when he knew he was sick um i think will reverberate uh and yeah it's just tremendously sad
1: yeah to me it's sort of like i think sort of of like i mean you think of heath ledger or river phoenix or just you know these these young talented actors who who gave so much in just their short time. Uh, someone, Oh, another, another one pointed out was a John Cazale, you know, like yeah. just amazing films to his credit. And so uh, it's a very sad, I, I it's sad to start the podcast on this note, but we didn't want to just gloss over it. Um,
0: yeah. It has to be mentioned. He just a towering figure and, and was a shock to, to everyone. Yeah. Um, and just a testament to his talent that like, it it feels like he had so much left, but also what he gave is so bountiful. Like the performances that he gave us are so like any actor would be happy to have one of those performances in their career. But right. for him to have so many um, and one on the way, just a huge talent.
1: Yeah. Uh, OK, um, so moving on to our main topic, we'll be discussing the Wachowskis and Tom Tickfer's cloud Atlas. So we kind of wanted to move to a one for us thing. And we're like, what could be more for us than any film on Netflix right now? And so we went with cloud Atlas, a three hour meditation on existence, existence, reincarnation <laughs> and morality spanning time. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. I, uh, Cloud Atlas is one of my, one of my more memorable theatrical experiences is I saw Cloud Atlas at TIFF is what I think. It, I think it debuted at TIFF actually. Mm-hmm. And the film ends and one person starts going, and then they realize they're the only person clapping and they suddenly <laughs> stop.
0: Was this at a at a press screening? It was at a press screening. Yes. So it was in um, the in the Scotia Bank.
1: In the Scotia Bank, filled with press and industry people who probably had no <laughs> idea what they had just seen. And it's that's the thing. It's 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 a weird film. It's it's it's. I mean, it's an independent film. It was independently financed but released through Warner Brothers. It's ridiculously ambitious. It's kind of amazing who's in it when you just pause and think. That's like, oh, it has everyman Tom Hanks and Holly Berry and Hugh Grant and like it's just like it's not like there's certain actors you're like oh this is sort of a weird indie art project kind of movie I you know where's when's Tilda Swinton going to show up that's sort of what I would expect from Cloud Atlas and instead it's like no no it's it's America's dad Tom Hanks (laughs) playing six different roles one of them as a cockney author who throws a guy off a building
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a collection of uh, it's not a bunch of like chameleonic performers. Like you know, Tom Hanks is one of the best actors who's ever lived, but you're always aware that you're watching Tom Hanks really in most of his his films, I think. Um and same with you Grant, like he's so typecast and uh you know, he's not not the type of guy that you would expect to show up as a cannibal in the future <laughs> just terrorizing people and uh eating small children. So, good on yeah. them for just being like, yeah, We'll sign up. We'll try it.
1: It's a it's a big ambitious swing. I mean, the ambition of of Cloud Atlas kind of overwhelms me because yeah. essentially what you have are six interconnected short films, and it's based off the book by David Mitchell. And the book has a parabolic structure, so it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, five, four, three, two, one. So each of the first five stories end partway through, and then they resume on the other side of the sixth story. And so what the movie does is it sort of jumbles them up and makes it more, I, I think the movie is, I like the movie more than the book because I think it flows better because when you're reading the book, like you you get halfway through the Robert Frobisher storyline, it ends, and then you go through three, four, five, six, and then you have to get, work your way back down to the Robert. So by the time you return to the Robert Frobisher storyline, you're like, wait, what was happening in this? I feel like I've this is a short story I've, I've stopped reading for a couple weeks now. Now I have to sort of figure out what it's about. Um, the far future storyline it's called slucius crossing and everything after which is written in the dialect that the people are talking in so you have like the true talking about the true true you got that smart tech you know it's like what are you oh this is this is a lot it's a lot <laughs> and the movie sort of takes the burden off by switching between its its narratives
0: yeah it's uh I was very confused when I first saw it, (laughs) like I think a lot of people were, because it doesn't tell you what it is and it doesn't tell you exactly how these stories connect. Um, And in my first watch, it took me a while to understand that like, oh, okay, so Tom Hanks is kind of playing a descendant across a line of ancestors and same with each of these characters. I didn't necessarily know it was kind of a handoff to um, kind of direct descendants or generational descendants passing down. What I did appreciate the first time around, and I liked the movie the first time I saw it. I liked it even better than the second time I saw it, um, which was for this podcast. So it took a while for me to return to it because three hours of this is its a big ask. Um, but it, what I what I really connected to is this idea of um, like echoes throughout time. Uh, of morality and humanity. So Tom Hanks' characters are kind of in the middle. So some of his characters are bad, some of his characters are good, but they're not like the worst or the best. They kind of are, you know, they can vacillate uh, depending on their circumstance or the people they're surrounded by and what temptations they're surrounded by. Um, You know, I think it's James Darcy's character is always someone who's trying to help someone else, I think is, a, is kind of a recurring theme throughout his storyline. Hugh Grant is always the worst, like always the Hugh worst. Hugh Grant and Hugo Weaving are always And the Hugo worst. Weaving. Yeah. Which is just so funny to me. Um, Halle Berry is always kind of morally good and, and always kind of searching for truth and, and trying to find her way through that. Um Jim Broadbent's character is fun. Like, I I, I like the the changes in tone that it creates through all these different things. But again, going back to the structure of it, like, it opens with... So when I first saw it, I think you and I did a podcast on it. You can probably find it in the archives of Collider. But the way the best way I could to describe the structure was as a symphony. So and that really threw me because it's not a film that's building towards, you know, by the end of the first act, you kind of know what the problem is. And then by the end of the second act, you're at the low point and the third act, you go up high. This is a film that kind of goes in like sinus waves um, to the point that like at the first hour, I think the music is swelling and you're getting to these big climactic events in each of the storylines but you're far from the end of the story. So again it's like a sympathy so that that opening sequence is is really kind of the prelude to the story that's to come but it doesn't give you any details. So it's just like, you know, there's uh, Tom Hanks on a beach with crooked teeth and you're like, "Okay, but he's also over here and I don't know how these connect yet."
1: Yeah, it's because it's so different. It doesn't and it doesn't really hold your hand. It doesn't say like, like, there's no device being like the cloud Atlas machine connects us all. And, you know, it leaves a comet tattoo, a comet birthmark on the special. like There's none of that because it's all meant to sort of be about transitions and um, sort of these, these notions of reincarnation. Uh, you know, and, and I, and, and really it's not, there. there isn't even like literal descendants at no point is it like, well, I'm like, sometimes there's a literal descendant, but sometimes it's just like, there was a person in the past who looks like Tom Hanks. Yeah. And like later on, there'll be another person who looks like Tom Hanks and they be, and you can sort of see the growth and development but also kind of the changes, and, and and the question is, is sort of like if there, if evil is consistent, because because Hugh Grant and 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 Hugo Weaving are just evil in all six stories, is there any room for people to change, or people will always be sort of terrible? And and the film, in kind of a hopeful note, says no, there there is a way to break these cycles to sort of realize that we can't just. And I think the film is is particularly concerned with notions of slavery and enslavement, and sort of having to break that and saying when when will we leave behind the if and, if Jack you're willing does not
0: like Cloud Atlas <laughs> Jack does not like Cloud Atlas
1: um, the if you don't agree with this like if there's a, system, a broken system you eventually have to break it and move, and leave it behind um, and sort of how that's sort of repositioned in different ways whether it's you know, there's a corrupt you know company, and you have to solve the mystery, or you know, there's a evil nursing home, or it's you know the future of Neo Soul, and they you know subsist on soil and green, essentially.
0: Yeah, it's uh, again like the layers really kind of opened up for me the second time around. But I do think you're right. I think that base question of is there any hope for good in a world played by evil. Um, is a valid one and I think it's one in which you're seeing the systems are against people so as you're not even seeing many worlds in which the systems are are working for the people the systems are almost consistently working against the people and they're having to push back against these systems in order to uh, find freedom or hope or um, you know, just base humanity.
1: Well, and I think the thing, thing is, is it's a very humanist tale because it's what links these six stories is is sort of that that um, humanistic approach to say that we can become our better selves, we can change, we can want something better. And, and as the film, you know, there are times where the film just stops to spell out what it's about, like that all boundaries are conventions. And I think that that sort of carries over to the way the film is designed. So that, you know, that these actors are playing different roles and they're playing different genders. They're playing different races, which I know is a point of contention for some people that you would have, you know, Jim Sturgis playing a Korean man. But you also have to sort of be like, yes, but Duna Bai at one point plays uh, a Hispanic woman. And, you know, it's the idea for especially for trans filmmakers like the Wachowskis is that these conventions are artificial, and that, that's the whole point of the film is that what we take to be conventions are really boundaries and those boundaries aren't really there. And so what if you were to strip them away? If you were to strip away not just an actor has to be, you know, Halle Berry, you know, has to always play a black woman. She can't play a white woman even though she does. You know, if you strip away all these things, what are you left with? And, and not just in terms of who the actors are playing, but in terms of the film itself. There is – Cloud Atlas has no single genre because genres are a convention, so it's a film that like one one story is a is like a German comedy, and the other is like a science fiction story, action film, and it just kind of melds them all together to create to create something new. Um, and that I th- and even time itself kind of folds in and, and restructures, and like it's there, but it's not necessarily something that constrains everyone um, in the same way. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, I really like the ambition of it. I, I will fully, you know, acknowledge for those who feel it like, that it doesn't work or it's too much, but I think the Wachowskis and Tom Tickford took on something very ambitious and I think it does pay off.
0: Yeah. I, and I mean, speaking to the actors playing different genders and different races, it's incredibly dicey. And I don't, uh, I as a white man, I don't begrudge anyone who has a problem with that. it, it does make a bit of sense to me because of that idea that these are kind of a singular soul that's tethered through time um, so you are kind of seeing the same I mean if you're either they're they're linked by ancestry or or something greater than themselves or the universe um, it, it works because you're trying to track this singular being throughout all across this vast um, period of time that the film is is chronicling and again to that idea of can people change can can um people push back against the tide of evil or um these oppressive systems i think and it's a huge swing i mean i it's it's got three directors and they were directing on like there were i think two first units so the wachowskis were direct i think the Wachowskis specifically directed principal photography on like specific time periods and then tom ticker did
1: yes time the, periods. so the tom ticker did the um adam lewis uh robert frobisher and timothy cavendish stories and then the wachowskis did the other three
0: okay so yeah that makes sense that the wachowskis would do the sci-fi future stuff so <laughs> um yeah and it's it's just this massive swing i i remember i think it was one of our interviews with tom hanks and he was talking about just like throwing on costumes and running from set to set. Cause again, it was an independent production and they were just like doing all this kind of whiz bang as quickly as possible. It's kind of a miracle that the whole movie isn't like an entire mess.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it, it feels like with the, that the it's amazing that the production itself just didn't collapse, Yeah, that it was just be sort of, you know, that, that at some point, Oh, the money ran out and we, and the cloud Atlas isn't like, well, it's one of those, what if stories, you know, who knows what it could have been. Like the yeah. fa- I am, I am consistently awed that it exists. Um, and I'm glad that it exists because especially from, from trans filmmakers like the Wachowskis, I, I think, you know, much like they've said, the Matrix is is a trans story. I think that's even more apparent here in Cloud Atlas, where you know if you're if you're making a movie about how how all you know conventions are boundaries and like well you were born male and that is all you shall ever be, uh, as now you know the Wachowskis are now trans women. Um, I think that I think that sort of to me speaks to their. I don't say values, just, you know, to their story, to their struggles and their journey and, and the payoffs. And I find that very inspiring.
0: Yeah. And you can see the, those struggles going all the way back to the matrix films. Um, you can see those themes being tackled mm-hmm. throughout other films and their filmography. Um, but yeah, to take, I mean, they'll, their filmography is really interesting. I mean, they started with, uh, I never saw assassins Is that their is that their debut or is Bound? No, yeah. Bound.
1: They wrote. They are credited with the screenplay for Assassins. Okay. but their first film directorial debut is Bound.
0: Yeah, and then they do the Matrix, which just like blows everyone away, and then the sequels, which have a mixed response. Which and then we have sha- talked about. <laughs> which we have talked about, and then kind of Shadow directed V for Vendetta, which we have also recently talked about, and then directed the reshoots on the invasion that invasion of the body snatchers movie Oof, that was just a lost cause <laughs> that was a lost cause that, i that haven't it, seen it but i know they were like it's real bad. bad yeah it's
1: real bad <laughs>
0: it was like uh, i don't know if that was like a joss whedon justice league situation i don't know what the extent of their work was but i remember it was pretty significant that they came in and did that
1: uh, and then uh and then next was speed racer right
0: Yes, which just
1: like... Speed Racer slaps. It's it <laughs> defies ama- Racer...
0: all narrative convention. I
1: mean, first off, they made essentially a live action anime, which is really hard to do, and then they made it a family film, and the family film aspect works, but it's also about capitalism and sponsorships. <laughs> and it's just like what, like, but then there's a sequence where like the little kid and the monkey eat too much sugar, and like there's a, then they go running to to a uh, free Bird. so it's just
0: it's just a fun <laughs> movie. It's wild. Um, and yeah, so Cloud Atlas was their next film after that. And, and it was kind of them, uh, you know, working with uh, kind of more high-minded material. I, I remember it was a pretty interesting attachment when they signed on to direct it. Well, and the film
1: went through a lot of different iterations in terms of its casting. Like Natalie Portman was the one who brought them the book on the set oh, The For Vendetta. And she was originally supposed to play one of the roles – but then she got pre- She was pregnant during the time they were filming. Mm-hmm. And so she gets a special thanks in the credits. But, yeah, she was supposed to be in it. I think at one point Ian McKellen was attached, and I think that role eventually went to Jim Broadbent. Broadbent's um, so, in it. Oh, he's so much fun.
0: Yeah. Um, I, do, I do take issue with them casting Jim Sturges, Ben Weishaw, and James Darcy in the same movie. <laughs> they are all the smart. same person? It's very hard to tell them apart sometimes. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> that, nice gentlemen, very good actors but uh i mean ben we the voices of paddington we you know should give him the respect he deserves we stand, we stand paddington <laughs> but especially when people are covered under makeup and stuff i kept like sometimes even on the second time i was like is that james darcy or jim sturges i'm not entirely sure
1: yeah um and then they move on to to jupiter ascending which is just you know i you know i for i don't like jupiter ascending but i kind of admire it in in a weird way i think jupiter's ascending like biggest problem is one of overreach it's just it's so it feels like it's like even though it's an original concept it feels like Oh no, there's a series of Jupiter ascending books. There's like 20 of them and they all tried to put the, and they condense them down into one movie. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's feels like there's this, there's this series of sci-fi novels that doesn't exist, but it's trying to be adapted into a single film. And it's just like, you just collapses under its own weight.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't fit. I don't remember that movie very much. I kind of want to rewatch it. It's on Netflix right now. I remember the rocket boots and that was cool.
1: Well, it's like, but like, there's just so much to it. Like, like, like Channing Tatum is like a space werewolf. And yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they, there's one point where like, like again, and, and Mila Kunis is like, she's like a, um she's a housemaid, but she's also like space royalty. And then there's like this whole endeavor to like, you know, you know, take her out of the picture. And then there's like these warring siblings and Eddie Redmayne is just playing it at an 11, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just, just screaming. He's just, just screaming, screaming and sweaty. Um, It's a lot. It's a lot.
0: (laughs) And that Um, was kind of touted as like their big return to original sci-fi action after The Matrix. And mm. it's, I don't think it like out and out bombed, but it did not do well. Like I think it made- I thought it out
1: and out bombed, like for what it cost and what it made.
0: Yeah, so the upper level of the budget estimate is 200 million and it made 183 million. So yeah, that's not good. So maybe, yes, it was (laughs) bomb. Uh, wasn't, wasn't wonderful. Uh, we can probably say
1: And then like, I've, I've discovered, I don't know. I I think we're different here. I have this thing now where I'm just, I don't have the patience for when prestige directors do television. Like, unless it's like Fincher doing Mindhunter, I can't follow a director into being like, oh, I made an eight episode series. Watch my eight episode series. I'm like, I don't want to just make a movie. (laughs) So I have never seen Sense eight, even though some people fucking love it.
0: I also have not seen Sensei and and by most accounts that 's maybe one of the most personal things they 've ever made together. Yeah. Um, I think they've made it together, yeah, uh, I think so okay um yeah i don't know what, what's your aversion to watching prestige directors do t v it's all it's a huge time commitment <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> but if you like the director, do you not like enjoy the- more I'd of that watch director's movies role? like that's the thing like
1: there's so many movies to watch, <laughs> basically what you 're saying is is like. Okay, take for instance Devs. Devs was what eight episodes? Yeah. Okay. In the time it takes to watch one Devs, I can watch four
0: movies. Sure, but if Alex Garland is a filmmaker you really like, like I like him. Is, but
1: I like, it's... but I think the medium matters, and like, and like television is fine. But it's just like when you're telling me that the television show has to like take up so much amount of my time, it has to be really freaking good, and it's. Yeah. More more often than not it feels like these shows Kind of get forgotten Like no one's really talking about
0: devs anymore The um, problem with devs is that it's an Eight hour Alex Garland movie <laughs> That's well, what the problem with devs but is But no
1: I mean remember like when like Carrie Fukunaga was going to do ma- He did Maniac and it has Emma Stone yeah. and Jonah Hill Does anyone talk about Maniac anymore? No Exactly. Although I think that
0: part of that has to do with the saturation of television and the people that consume television aren't as obsessive about creators, I don't think, mm-hmm. as the people who consume movies and kind of get obsessed with those. I will say, did you watch Devs at all? No. I will say Devs is very much like if you want Alex Garland's next film, that's it. It's just eight hours long. Like it is very much in line with his other stuff. And so if you like his other stuff, I would suggest checking it out. I do. It I just it doesn't (laughs) because he wrote directed every episode it doesn't feel like one of those like oh yeah they collaborated with a bunch of different people and it's kind of them but it's just a long drawn out thing
1: tv piles up man like i mean i'm still like way behind on atlanta and i haven't finished the great and like i kind of want to watch haunting of hill house before haunting of bly manor comes along and now (laughs) i know and that's it now and just that just from that i've described about like 25 hours of television to you yeah
0: So, well, yeah, like even this weekend, like Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves comes out, but also the boys season two starts. And it's like, well, I don't have I'm not going to spend an entire Saturday watching television for 18 hours. You know, I just don't have that amount of time. But I will say I I I make time for the ones that I care about. And Debs is one where, you know, I'd sneak in an episode this afternoon here or that afternoon there. um, And I enjoyed I agree, there's too much TV, but I do think like if you're a if you're a big fan of that, I guess it depends on your level of fandom of that filmmaker. Because like you said, like with Venture, like I'm absolutely watching Mine Hunter.
1: Yeah, like and if the Coen Brothers, if if Buster Scruggs had been a TV series as it was originally intended, I would have watched that, you know. But again, it's a it's a real sort of hurdle, especially when there's like there's so like I have I look like my. My IMDb watch list is like over 400 movies, you know, and like stuff is like leaving streaming services. And it's just I'd rather chase that stuff down than be like, okay, I guess I should watch
0: season three of Fargo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a huge fan of Fargo. Um But you
1: see, well, you see what I mean? Like there's so much TV. Like I still have never watched the Americans and like there's five seasons of the Americans. I dropped out of Better Call Saul after the first season, not because I didn't like it, but because everyone says it's really sad and I don't want to (laughs) be real
0: sad right now. Well, so that's (laughs) part of the thing as well. And I don't know what it is because it doesn't make sense, but I'll be sitting there and I'll have like a Sunday afternoon. My fiance is at work and I'm like, all right, I have this finite amount of time to watch something. I could take a chance on one of these movies I haven't seen, or something like Ujimbo or something. But it's like, how active do I want to be in my watching? What kind of mood am I in? Or I could start this show or continue this show. Then I'm kind of so so on. And nine times out of ten, I end up picking the show, and I don't necessarily know why. Um, you know, I've finished a large number of shows that I would just say were fine, just mediocre. But then there are shows like Better Call Saul that I watch week to week that I absolutely adore and would hold on the level of you know my favorite films. Um, but I don't know. Is the is the decision to watch TV or film is is it the same for you? Is it like, well, this is a two hour commitment versus a a longer investment? Is yeah, just-
1: no, I mean, for me, if if a t- for a TV show, it it really has to sort of be something where I really want to like make that investment, and it's just it's, it's the thing about a movie is like after two hours you're done. Yeah. You know, whereas like a show, you're like, well, like I haven't started watching Succession yet because people are like, well, Succession gets really good around episode five. Like, so I got to sit through
0: five hours of Succession. It's not bad. Uh, I think it's like episode three, but yeah.
1: Okay, but do you see my point? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I've never watched uh, Buffy or there's another one. That people are like, oh, you have to get through, like, two seasons of, like, network television in the early 2000s. So, like, 24 yeah, episodes.
1: probably. I, I mean, D. Space Nine is like that. The first yeah. two seasons of D. Space Nine are terrible. And, yeah, like, by the time you get to, like, the seventh season, it's amazing. But, like, honestly, for the first couple seasons of D. Space Nine, I was, like, p- playing video games on my phone during <laughs> the first two seasons. Because, like, oh, oh, yeah. Cork oh, no. <laughs> has a dangerous new game. <laughs> you know? Like, it's... So, it's just... I feel like my time is better spent when I'm watching a movie rather, like if I'm going to watch a TV show, I'm kind of watching the stuff that's like carved out already, like in an HBO, like right now I'm watching Lovecraft country and I'm watching um, the vow. And those are like Sunday night.
0: And it's like, it's, you know, it's fine. Two hours every Sunday night.
1: Yeah. And and it'll be over in mid October and that's the end. And like Lovecraft country will, I'd be surprised if Lovecraft Country didn't get renewed because it seems to be pretty popular and seems a way to tell a lot of stories. Um, But like, it'll just like, that's when it will end. But like, again, and now like, I feel like if you miss it, it goes into the backlog. So like Perry Mason, I missed it, it's in the backlog.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I feel, I understand that. Because I feel the same way. Because I was going to say like, the way I kind of watch television is either my fiance and I binge it over a weekend, like the new season of, Upcoming show, I can't name right now. um Or it's like you said, like a Sunday, like Perry Mason was like, that was kind of fun for us. Like every Sunday night, we knew for an hour we were watching the new Perry Mason. And like that's an hour carved out every Sunday night. It's not a big deal because what do you do? Like, what are you doing on Sunday night? You got work on Monday. Um, I like that better than like, yeah, like there are shows that I missed that are like now kind of in the backlog. And I'm like, I'm probably not going to watch that. <laughs>
1: And, like but like the other thing is is you have to sort of like sort of divide between like work and and pleasure, yeah. so like there's like if I'm seeing something new, like that kind of gets filed under work, and like that's not like that i it's not to say I don't enjoy it, it's just like if I haven't seen something before, it makes demands of me, whereas like lately, Leslie and I like my wife and I we've been watching uh we've been spending our evenings like, we'll watch an episode of episodes, which we're almost done with it's a short series, it's very good, and so like. Again, the backlog. The show the show ended in twenty seventeen, but it's very good and I'm actually excited to to talk about it at length at some point once I finish with it. But then we'll like watch like British like Britain's best home cook. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Something light. Yeah. Like the like, ah, oh, Mary Berry's gonna ask them to make, you know, a Sunday roast. <laughs> like it's Is this, not this like a...
0: the is that the show Mary Berry went to after the Great yes. British Baking Show? Okay. Yes. We need to get on that because we're about to finish the last season of Great British Baking it's Show. It's on who? the uh, most recent season. Yeah, it's on Hulu. That's it's, good to know. It's,
1: it's pretty good. Um, same kind of vibe where everyone is super nice to each other and making delicious <laughs> food. Um and then uh and then we'll and then we'll just you know, just be on our phones with friends in the background because we've both seen friends like a dozen yeah. times. And like, you know, it's it's easy. And I'm yeah. sure like once our once we finish watching rewatching friends, we'll probably switch back to like rewatching The Office. You know, and I understand, like, oh, well, why are you just watching something you've already seen when you could watch something new? It's, like, because the new thing requires my attention. Yeah. I don't want to, like – like, at some point, like, it's just good – like, there is – background viewing exists.
0: Well, especially right now, background pleasure viewing exists. Like, we – so we'd been binging The Office over the last like I don't know four months or so. We got to the final season, and it was like we can't watch this at night anymore because that final season is too sad. <laughs> it's just too sad and stress inducing. And I mean, like you read the stories, like John Krasinski was like, people are freaking out. They think Jim and Pam are going to break up. We got to change this right now. So now we're watching Brooklyn at nine, and that's just like delightful. Always, I never will say, sad.
1: I will say, like that's something that Leslie and I we, we made our way through that. We we finished Brooklyn Nine Nine this year. We we decided to give it a go, and we really enjoyed it. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: But yeah, it's just again, it's sort of like there with so much. It's not just peak TV. It's like that's that fact that there's prestige. It's not like oh networks are turning out a lot of you know bad shows. It's that there's so many good shows. And you want to give them your attention. So like this past week, when we planned to like get back into watching The Great, watching, just watch one episode of The Great, and we didn't do it. So yeah. like <laughs> that's just, you know, I mean, it's just time management. This has yeah. gone far afield of Cloud Atlas. <laughs> but I will bring it well, back to Well, it's interesting because like,
0: everyone's talking about like right now during quarantine, it feels like people have been having to make that choice. Do I watch a TV show or do I watch a movie? And it feels like a lot more people are choosing TV over movies.
1: Well, and I, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, how— Tarantino basically split up um, *Hateful uh, Eight into a mini series, yeah. and I wonder like, if like the Wachowskis would be like, maybe we should just split up *Cloud Atlas* into a series because <laughs> it's three hours long. Yeah, and but then again, it's edited in such a particular way. I don't know like where you'd put the breaks.
0: I do wonder how that would work. I did notice there's one editor on this film, and I rewatched The Fugitive recently and there were I think 7 credited editors on The Fugitive. <laughs> there were like 6 credit editors on like Molly's Game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like I don't know how, I mean it must This one been, editor was amazing
1: and did not get enough credit.
0: Yeah, it must have been baked into the the script of just like the exact structure of this thing. But yeah, I do wonder how Cloud Atlas would play as a as a TV series if you uh, Play each storyline out in like two episodes each or something yeah so I think it, would,
1: it. it would probably be a little more rote because i think again it's there is like that pacing and movement like one door opens and then like someone walks yeah. through a door and, and then someone in another timeline walks through a different door yeah you know it's like it's i don't know i feel breaking it up would make sense but at the same time i i'm sort of wary of um this notion that we're so strapped for time that we can't even watch things right anymore. Like I, when that story came out, like Netflix is testing out like a watch it doubles at at 1.5 speed feature. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, why Why are you that fucking busy that you need? Well, it's an hour and a half, but if I can shave a half hour off of this. I'm in business.
0: Yeah. Gives me more time to watch my Instagram stories.
1: Yeah. Like at some point, just like, like, I understand, like, podcasts, I can kind of roll with it because it's like, oh, if I'm playing it at two speed. But you're in your car. Yeah. You know, like, what you're just listening and, you know, it's you're essentially being told a story. So if you want to listen to someone tell you a story in a chipmunk voice, that's your prerogative. But, you know, storytelling in terms of, like, visual storytelling and the way it's paced and the way it unfolds, like, you're not supposed to watch it at a, at a higher speed so you can consume more of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I don't know.
1: Surprised that more, I mean, if this is the way we're going, I'm surprised like restaurants will just like start having funnels and just being like, shove it down your gullet so you can eat
0: more. Saves me time. Food tubes. (laughs) What's that from? Uh, I think we were joking in Slack. I don't remember how it started about having, (laughs) (laughs) oh, it was the, am I the asshole here? The guy's idea about the soup tube.
1: tube. Google, soup if you're wondering what we're talking about, Google, am I the asshole soup tube?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brilliant idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs>
1: about Cloud Atlas. Uh, about Cloud Atlas. You know, I mean, I feel like Cloud Atlas is, it's a daunting film. Um, it, it is three hours. It's very strange. But I kind of wish, and its it's one of those things where I feel like I really enjoy it. But you sort of see the shortcomings of recommendations, like yeah. what what it means to recommend something like I would not recommend this film to a lot of people because even though I think it's really good, I also could be like it's not a simple movie like it's it depends what you're in the mood for. It depends what your tastes are, and like are you interested in some genre busting? Uh, weird six story <laughs> feature about reincarnation it's you know and that's the thing like there's I, that, and to me I also kind of like is the shortcomings of an algorithmic kind of feature yeah. like you liked such and such we recommend Cloud Atlas Yeah. like what what is your I'm not saying like <laughs> there is no film like Cloud Atlas in fact it's specifically constructed to evoke other kinds of movies but they're all blended together so yeah. it makes
0: it a new thing. I should have looked to see what Netflix recommended after it ended. Mm. They probably just recommended some of their own shows that they want. <laughs> you to would watch. like
1: Work It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> watch this. Okay. Just just don't leave. Our entire yeah. follow depends on you not leaving.
0: I am fascinated to see what Lana does with the uh, Matrix, what returning to that world looks like. It, I mean, for all the shortcomings of Reloaded and Revolutions, they were at least ambitious. And I like Reloaded, kind of. I don't. I don't dislike Reloaded.
1: Reloaded struggles because it's followed by Revolutions. It's it, yes. there's so much build up in it, and the payoff is just not great. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. I think again, you know, it's the reason I admire the Wachowskis is because they have no shortage of ambition. Yeah. Like for those who don't know, like the Matrix sequels were not just the Matrix sequels. There was also the Animatrix and Enter the Matrix. Like it was this whole. Mm-hmm media thing built around these movies like this whole and
0: they did it it wasn't the studio like oh we'll hire some people to write this viral content
1: yeah it wasn't like merchandising tie-in it was a transmedia experience that they oversaw
0: yeah um and it was fun it was a huge deal the enter of the matrix was like a very big deal for me
1: yes yeah it's a bad game and i'm kind of amazed that it we is. didn't so it's <laughs> funny i learned so later like in 2005 maybe they released a an MMO RPG matrix game oh really did you know about this Yeah. No. so they it's like it's called the matrix online and it was supposed to be canon and in canon, Morpheus dies in the, in the Matrix. You can't do that. Weird, like kind of assassin guy who just pokes his head out of like a, like a vent and just shoots Morpheus a few times and Morpheus dies, which might be the reason that Morpheus is not in Matrix 4.
0: Uh, That'd be really funny. Like, well, if you pay attention to the canon. If you pay attention
1: to this, to this RPG, this online RPG that no one remembers, uh, um, you will note But again, like, yeah, I I like their ambition and uh, I am curious what happens with Matrix 4 because when it was in, when the fact that Lana Wachowski is overseeing it makes me interested. If it were some sort of like, oh, we're rebooting it because it's IP and it has to be rebooted. Like, but if this is the continuation of a story.
0: Yeah. um, That's what makes me excited that it's not like some young up-and-comer with like a new fresh take on the Matrix. And Keanu just rules right he's the best he is the best i you know we
1: didn't can we we i don't want to touch too much on bill and, to the new bill and ted because i don't know how many people have seen it other than to say like the new bill and ted is so good and i'm it's so, so good I, I so want people to see it um, it's a
0: miracle I, I was going to mention it when we talked about recently watched yeah well let do why don't we just jump into recently watched now um, yeah and talk a little bit about bill and ted yeah, I mean, it, it. I have another specific recently watched, that sure. I was just going to note, like, it's, it's just so good. It's so joyous and fun and happy, and the empathy of these two characters is such that it extends to the film's antagonist, which really, like, touched me. It made me kind of weepy a little bit. Like, it's just so sweet. They're just such good dudes who are just trying to be good and do good. Uh, the Daughters are really good. Anthony Kerrigan is hilarious. Oh, um, to me, he steals it. Yeah, he kind of steals the show as Dennis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a miracle. Like, it shouldn't work. Like, a third movie in a in this kind of weird franchise that wasn't even well, was supposed to like be a
1: franchise. Comedy se- I mean, I'm thinking, what's the last comedy sequel that came out, like, over a decade since the original that worked?
0: Yeah. I can't think of it. Like,
1: Bad Santa 2 is bad. Zoolander 2 is bad. Anchorman 2 is okay. But the Wet Hot
0: American TV show, Wet Hot American Summer TV show was pretty okay. Yeah. Pre- but but I guess that was a prequel. But. but
1: it's it's really hard to do. Yeah. It's really hard. And so the fact that they were able to sort of tell this story and, like, embrace the fact that Bill and Ted have aged and but not lose the essence of those characters. Yeah. It was just very sweet. And uh, I was very, very much with it.
0: And I was like, I I was very happy to pay $20 to see that movie. Like that was really no skin off my nose. I would say if you're a fan of the franchise, it's well worth it. I mean, that's the price of in most cities, at least two tickets to go to the movies uh, minus or plus concessions. So,
1: yeah, it's it's really good. So what was your what was your other recently watched?
0: So my other recently watched is I wanted to get uh, in the mood for spooky season and before it left Netflix. I don't know when it will. Um, but I had not seen it since I was a kid. I uh, wanted to watch The Witches again. And The Witches is terrifying. Yes. Still, I still feel. And this is not one of those like, you know, when people are like, oh, man, this movie still scars me. And it's like, yeah, but, like you know, those are like just kid emotions. I went back and rewatched it. And our our coworker, Tom Ryman, mentioned this as well. Every shot is directed to terrify you. Nicholas Reg, when he directed this movie, every shot is terrifying. And it opens with this extended sequence where the grandmother is just telling the child this story of this witch who killed and murdered this young girl that she was friends with in this town. With, like, footage of—and the camera is, like, kind of chasing the child. It's really terrifying. I had forgotten that it mostly takes place in a hotel, I can definitely see why Robert Zemeckis was attracted to this. I had forgotten a lot of it. And after rewatching it, I was like, oh, I guess I kind of know what Robert Zemeckis is going to do with this. It's going to be, you know, mocap mouses or mocap mice everywhere. Um, And we'll see how he handles the witches themselves. But, yeah, it's uh, it kind of falls apart in the third act a little bit to me. I think I think there are a couple of really standout sequences. And I think Jim Henson's work uh, with the, the witches themselves is really fantastic makeup. And like I said, at least the first half, the way it's directed and everything is really terrifying. Not only is like the grandmother is telling the story to the child and then the parents die in a car accident off screen. Well, that's, that's,
1: then, a role, that's just Roald Dahl. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's like this was a movie for chill. Like they would like this movie would never get past Disney or Warner Brothers or any other major studio nowadays. They would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to soften this opening. We got to add some light music onto it um but no they just rolled with it like this is what was released uh and it's and warner brothers released it in 1990 and it's still pretty scarring so roll the dice do with that information what you what you will um but if you show it to kids they will be upset i can guarantee that
1: um for me uh I decided to watch Stop Making Sense because it was about to leave Criterion Channel. And uh, David Byrne has a new film that he teamed up with Spike Lee that's playing at TIFF. It's the TIFF opener. Um, And I'd never seen Stop Making Sense. And I'm not like big into concert films, but I'm like, this is supposed to be one of the best ones. I'll give it a shot. And it's so good. And I'm not even like a talking heads guy. But it's just like it's a Talking Heads concert, but the way Jonathan Demme directs it, and the energy that David Byrne has, and his performance, and the whole band has, you just really get wrapped up in it. And it's like it's only like 88 minutes, but it's it's just to me it's it's when a concert film is done right, it sort of takes advantage. It when I, when when they're done poorly, it's sort of like okay, this was a concert I did not attend. But when they're done yeah. right, you feel the energy of the performance. You you get into the music you feel it as its own kind of genre and art form, even though it has no narrative or character or anything like that, you just get into the music. And, uh, so I, I was really with it. I really enjoyed stop making sense.
0: Did you then go and watch the documentary now episode about the blue gene committee? <laughs> I'm going to. You need uh, No, wait, I have
1: already seen Blue Jean Committee. I've already seen yeah. Blue
0: Gene Committee. We'll watch it so, again.
1: The one I need to so I need to watch the the, the actual company documentary on Criterion yeah. and then watch Co-op. <laughs> co-op
0: so good.
1: It's so good.
0: Paula Pell steals that one. Okay. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of documentary um, now stuff. Uh, it's such a good show.
1: Um all right. Um, so I think that's about it. Uh, next week, we will post our big Christopher Nolan episode uh, where we talk about all of his movies leading up to Tenet. We will not discuss Tenet because Adam hasn't seen it.
0: I am going to uh, ask you some Tenet questions, though. All None right. You
1: spoiler can, spoiler you can ask free, me some...
0: but I'm going to make you talk about Tenet.
1: You're going to make me talk about Tenet? Yeah. All right. That's
0: fair. Uh, but it'll be our big Christopher Nolan
1: episode. Uh, So tune in for that. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can people find you on Twitter?
0: At Adam Chitwood.
1: And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.
0: There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback. But in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar